friends, welcome back. Uh, we are today going to be talking about a verse, chapter 2, verse 31 to 37, where, as I had said before in session 20, I think, yes. where we talked about uh, this being the knowledge that uh, Krishna is giving, which is more worldly, uh, yoga buddhi, which is the intelligence, the in intellect, to talk about yoga, which is not physical yoga, but the way to get back together with yourself. Yoga means joining, and yoga buddhi is the ability to get back to joining back with yourself. These verses from 31 to 37 are meant to teach us how to tune your mind to get towards self-realization, an attitude which will lead us towards self-realization. So verse 31 basically uh, deals with us to do your duty. Looking at your duty, it says, you should not waver. So when you say looking at your duty, you should not waver. What is my duty yeah. when I am born? How do I know what my duty is? In Sanskrit, it's known as swadharma. Dharma is a common word now in the uh, English language. It's actually in the dictionary. And it has many, many meanings in Sanskrit. Um, nobody is 100% sure what it means, but I have understood it to mean the nature of things. Mm -hmm. So the nature of sugar is to be sweet. So the, na the dharma of sugar is to be sweet. Mm -hmm. Now, each one of us comes to this earth with some kind of dharma. Our main dharma is to get back to the self, to right. realize the Atman. That's our main dharma, but we are not aware of it. But a more superficial dharma, you may say, I want to be a doctor, just as an example. Since I'm a physician, somebody says, I have a burning desire to become a doctor. I want to help people. I want to cure people. I want to give them medicine. I want to help their suffering. Right. And the father says, uh-uh. You, I'm an accountant, you're going to be an accountant like me. Yeah. He says, but my swadharma, my own dharma is to help people. I want to be a medical doctor. He says, no, you're going to be an accountant like me. So he says, okay, forces him to become an accountant. These things used to happen in India. I don't know if they still do, yep. but uh, parents force their children to be into professions that they may not have wanted to. Now there's a guy becomes an accountant, but in his mind, he's still a doctor. He learns all, as much as he can about herbal medicines and treatment and so on. Somebody comes to him as a client and says, hey, can you do my taxes? By the way, I've got this horrible cold and allergy. He says, wait, wait, you got a cold? Let me open my drawers. Here's this herb. You can take this. You, uh, and he calls him that evening and says, did you take the herbs I give you? Did you take the medication? Why? Because he's got this swadharma. Right that says, I want to help people with medicine. That cannot be suppressed. Uh, and we see this with children I, from an early age. Yes. From their previous life, they come and they say, I want to be this, a musician, a uh, artist, or a doctor, or whatever. So verse 31 says, looking at your duty, your swadharma, you should not waver. So in the Gita, it says that people were classified in that time, and even today, in four categories. Those categories were the four varnas, which is um, 
Kshatriya, which is a warrior, Brahmin, which is uh, somebody who's a of priestly, intellectual, knowledgeable kind of person. Third was a merchant who dealt with uh, business, take and give, make profit. Mm -hmm. And the fourth is like labor, manual labor, or other kinds of labor. People have often criticized the Gita and India for these castes. What they don't realize is that all society everywhere has these castes. And we base somebody in a job based on their swadharma or their caste. Right. For instance, if I was running a multi-million dollar company and I put somebody in the accountant, uh, accounting department who was not of the accounting background right. and basically wanted to draw and to do graphic design and stuff like that. And I give him some ledgers to work on. And I look and all day he's drawing and making artistic things. I'd say, you know what? You don't belong in here. I'm going to put you in the marketing division. Right. And he said, this is great. I love this. So we each have our drives. We each have our swadharma. And those are categorized into those four portions. So somebody who is very physically oriented for martial arts, you cannot put him behind four walls and say, you are going to uh, be an intellectual. Right. Somebody who's got the intellectual drives cannot be a, a marketing person or a, a warrior. You can't send him out. So this is an example of what Krishna is telling um, Arjuna, that you, your swadharma is to be a warrior. From the time of childhood, you've always wanted to fight. This is a righteous war yep. that you're fighting against some evil people. You should not waver. So we have a duty. This is the deeper level. Our swadharma is firstly towards your own body, because that's your temple. That is, you've got to protect it. You've got to protect your mind and your personality in your body. Keep it clean keep it decent, keep it healthy, because in order to go to the next level step, you've got to take care of your own body. Right. You've got to take care of other human beings, including your family, your children, your grandchildren. You owe it. It's a responsibility towards those people. Then to your community, society, the nation, other animals, birds, other beings, our traditions, forces, all kinds of things. So it goes in that kind of hierarchical way. But you have this responsibility. You cannot get past it. So the swadharma is different. Our duty is to go with the grain, whatever your swadharma is, not against the grain. Right. If you go against the grain, it, it, it can't be done. Like the example I gave you of the accountant. Right. Everyone has a duty. If you don't do it, if you don't do your duty, everybody notices, everybody criticizes. Right. If you do it, it's not necessarily going to be noticed. So keep in mind that when you're doing your duty, all the other soldiers that did their duty maybe got killed in the process of doing their duty. Nobody may even know of them. But Arjuna didn't want to do his duty. It definitely goes noticed. Right. So for a Kshatriya, a righteous war, there's nothing as good as it, nothing better because it's a righteous war. You want to be a Kshatriya, you want to be a warrior. This is a righteous war. You're fighting against the worst possible people there is. And for this, if you don't fight this, then what else are you going to fight? Right. So in a society, it's very important. Otherwise, the kingdom and society all collapse right. because 
you had to do certain things and you didn't. There's no choice. A duty has to be done. Some duties are attractive, some are thankless, but you still have to do it. Right. Verse 32, happy are the kshatriyas who get such a battle that comes without being sought as an open door to heaven. It's sort of all the rest of the verses are fairly self-explanatory, so I don't necessarily have to go through them. But happy is the warrior who gets into such a battle that comes to him without even seeking it as an open door to heaven, meaning peace of mind. Yes. So the example analogy that I can give is that assume that I'm a surgeon, that I say, what if I get a patient that has this particular uh uh, condition right. that I need to have this special surgery for. And I practice and I practice and do it. And then I say, okay, I hope I'm going to get such a chance, but nobody ever gets a patient like this. And then unbeknownst to him, unsought, a patient shows up that says, I need this particular surgery. Imagine the boundless energy and joy that he would yes. have to say, this is what I've been working for my whole life. And now comes this patient. I'm going to use my skills to get him better. That's what he's saying, basically, to say, if this is good for the warrior, he's been wanting to fight, he wants to become a warrior, and he becomes a warrior, he trains his whole life, and now you have the opportunity of fighting a war, you have the opportunity fighting a war against bad people. Right. What else could you ask for? So that's what he's saying in verse 32. Verse 33 says, now, if you will not wage this righteous war, then having abandoned your duty and fame, you will incur sin. You will lose your swadharma. You will lose your duty. Yes. All of this is self-explanatory except for the word sin. So yeah. what does sin actually mean? We misunderstand it because we think of sin as whatever we think of. Right. What really sin is, is a reflection on our mind. Remember we talked in verse, on session number 20, of what happens to the mind and the intellect after we die. Right. It sort of goes off, carrying with it its vasanas and the results of its karma. So this is a karma. You do a karma or you don't do a karma. Right. You're supposed to fight a righteous war. People are counting on you to say, you protect me, Arjuna. You are the great warrior. This king is evil. He's done this to my wife. He's done this to my children. You protect me from this evil person. And Arjuna said, I don't want to fight. That's a sin yes. to him. In his mind, right. his conscience is going to bother him. His conscience is going to say, what did you do? You could have easily defeated this person, and all these people would have been helped. But you backed off from that war. That is going to keep pricking his conscience. And after he, quote-unquote, dies, his mind and intellect still survives. The mind and intellect carry that burden off this conscience that right. keeps pricking him, bothering him. That's the sin, that he's not at peace and so, you know how in the Christian tradition they say it's purgatory? Right. You're sort of, you know, troubled with this, you yeah. bothered, you know, hells of fires of hell. Those are the kind of things that your mind, while it's waiting to be reborn again, is in the fires of hell because of this constant barrage of saying, oh, my God, I right. did this bad thing. That's what it's talking about, that you will incur sin. You weren't true to your duty. You weren't true to your duty, you weren't true to your swadharma, your, you went against the grain, you did something that your conscience was bothering you. 
So very quickly, verse 34, 35, 36, and 37, I'm just going to basically talk about them because they're pretty self-explanatory. 34 is people who will recount your perpetual dishonor, and to the honored, dishonor is worse than death. It will remain in history. So basically, he's talking about the worldly aspects now. He says, I've tried everything else before about telling you about the Atman and all right. of this. Now I'm relating to you, Arjuna, as a human being who used to be a king, has been a warrior. If you don't do this, people will only remember that you backed off from this war. That will be your legacy. That will be your legacy. So mm -hmm. he's talking on a regular level, mm -hmm. at the most superficial level of the onion. Verse 35 says, the great chariot warriors will think that you have run away from the battle out of fear, and you, who used to be highly respected as a great warrior, will be disrespected. Mm -hmm. Again, self-explanatory. Verse 36, and your enemies will not only talk ill about you, but they will be use bad words about bad words about you. Yes. Not just talk ill about you, but they will use bad words about you, and those who are close to you will also be accursed. Right. What could be worse than that? And verse 37, remember that either slain, you will attain heaven. So if you die in this war, you'll attain heaven. And if you live by being victorious, you will enjoy the earth as the king. Therefore, arise and determine to fight. So again, he's talking at a very earthly level. Uh, about all of this. So that, I think, now we have concluded up to verse 37. And so next time we'll talk about verse 38 to 53, which is how to do karma yoga, oh, which helps yeah. you to get to uh, self-realization. So there are multiple kinds of yogas to get to karma. So the lowest of our bodily functions is our body, mm -hmm. and the next is the mind, then comes the intellect. So the body, if you do karma yoga, you're out there running a soup kitchen. You're actually going out there and helping people build their homes yes. by saying, okay, listen, I will use my body to do service. So most missionaries, when they go out to Africa or poor countries and they do things for other people, are doing karma yoga. Right. That helps them when they're doing something with their body to control their mind and their feelings and their emotions by doing this. And most religions recommend that you do karma yoga. The next yoga is for the mind. The first one was for the body, karma right. yoga, and that is known as bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga, bhakti means devotion. Um, and so you are devoted to a higher force, God, and you use your prayers by singing songs, doing devotional songs, and love for God that you use bhakti yoga, which is supposedly one of the strongest ones. Because yeah. in, in the Gita talks, Arjuna says, should I be doing bhakti yoga or jnana yoga? Uh, karma yoga is a given. Everybody's got to do it. Yep. But should I use bhakti yoga, which is devotional, or should I use jnana yoga? The intellect uses jnana yoga, which is knowledge. What we are doing now, what, I'm, what I've learned, what I'm passing on yes. is jnana yoga. And sometimes people say, well, unless you have the jnana yoga, you can't have bhakti yoga. But there are people who know none of this knowledge, and they just sit there praying to God, and they reach self-realization. Mm. So that's jnana yoga. So there's many different ways to get to 
uh, self-realization. These three are the ones that I mentioned just now, and karma yoga is the one that we talked about, we will talk about from next verse onwards. So friends, thank you very much for joining us. Lou, I thank you so much for your help in all of this. I really appreciate it. I'm enjoying it. Thank you. Thank you.